I'm Jade English, and this is Finding Feel Good. The best way to say it is that, of course, we get an education in pretty much anything that we need for our lives, right? We learn mathematics, we learn how to ride a bike, we learn a craft or, you know, a trade or whatever. But the one thing that all humans would like and really hope for for themselves, right, which is relationship, intimacy, sex, enjoyment in that domain, we don't learn. Ian? Yeah? I know this might sound weird, but I'm just doing an interview at the moment with two sex coaches in Bali, and they've offered if I want to do it with you. Right. Would you, would you do it? Anything for you, Jade. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> it's been a few days since the sound healing experience here in Bali, and... It's just been really nice to sort of be a bit more free and explore and the weather's just gorgeous and I think there's something about when the weather's really warm where it just makes you in a better mood instantly. And yeah, so it's just been really nice sort of meeting people and everyone speaks quite deeply over here even if you've met them for like two minutes. You don't have... Uh, you don't have top line conversations. You're literally talking about the meaning of life within five minutes of meeting people, which, which suits me quite well. And yeah, so today we're actually talking about tantra, intimacy and sexuality. So I'm actually going to be trying out one of these sessions in Bali with James Mattingly and his wife, Megan Lambert. And I'm also going to be doing a group session with Adam Kleinerman. Before today's experience, back in the UK, I spoke with Michaela Bowen. So she's actually a counsellor for the biggest actors and entertainers in the world, including Will Smith, Jada Pinkett Smith and Gwyneth Paltrow. Many celebrities claim that sex and intimacy practitioners are to thank for their successful relationships. And Michaela gave me some insight into what Tantra and intimacy teachers do and how the psychology of connecting deeply can deeply benefit relationships. Hi, Michaela. I guess, first of all, I'd just like to convey what I see like a intimacy and sexuality expert, what they do. And maybe you can tell me if I'm right or wrong and what I can expect from it. So... I've done one sort of tantra class before and they made me and my partner look into each other's eyes and breathe together. And then there was another exercise where we had to look at another man and another woman from toes to the head and like see what sort of feelings came up, which was interesting. And I can see how it would potentially change your relationship by doing things like that. But could you give me a little bit of an insight into what do you do and how does it work and how can people benefit from your practices? Well, I think there's a few things that we want to say, which is it's a field that is very, very wide and very varied. And so within the field of, let's say, sexuality, intimacy, tantric practice, there is people who are incredibly well-trained and very well-versed. And there's people, you know, who've joined the cult in Thailand for a couple of months and then, you know, they kind of go on and do their thing, right? That's the, that's kind of the, the range of possibilities. So it's a wide term for a field that's very interesting in the sense that 
the best way to say it is that, of course, we get an education in pretty much anything that we need for our lives, right? We learn mathematics, we learn how to ride a bike, we learn a craft or, you know, a trade or whatever. But the one thing that all humans would like and really hope for, for themselves, right, which is relationship, intimacy, sex, enjoyment in that domain, we don't learn. And we don't get any education other than what we see. And of course, if your parents are appropriate parents, you don't see a lot. (laughs) (laughs) That's a very good point. I've not thought about that before. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, you you won't see a lot. If your parents are appropriate, you will not see Mm. them having sex, of course, or things of that nature. And you will not know the inner workings of their relationship. You get it via, you know, kind of feeling things as a child and all of that. But the rest of our education, and I'm making big, you know, parentheses here, we get from <laughs> movies, magazines. Of course, nowadays, yeah. porn is widely available to people when it shouldn't be at a certain age. Mm-hmm. You know, there's everything from very disordered relating based on the environment to total insanity as far as it not being accurate as in movies. Right, and everything in between. And sex for one within the, when we talk about intimacy and sexuality, sex for one, you have to learn by doing it. Yes, you do. (laughs) (laughs) Because it is a bodily activity, like you would have to learn how to figure skate, right? Nobody is, you might have a propensity towards figure skating, right? Meaning maybe you have the body type and the natural intelligence that makes it easy for you to do that, but that's not how you start out. You have to learn how to stand, then you have to learn how to move, then and and eventually you get into the acrobatics of figure skating, so to speak. Right, and the same is true for sex, which is something that people don't want to understand. They somehow think it comes natural. You should know what you're doing. Your partner should know what they're doing. Then, of course, there's this bizarre idea that, of course, on one end, you should be pretty much virginal, right? Yeah. Of course, as a woman, if you're virginal, you also have no idea what the hell you're doing, right? It's a really tricky subject. And because it's a really tricky subject, everybody jumps on that bandwagon, rightly or wrongly so. And there's many, many different schools of how people go at it, right? So some people go at it from the skill level where you learn certain aspects, you learn kind of the nuts and bolts, so to speak, press this button, this happens, right? Some people come from it from the energetics, meaning you get to learn about your body and you make your body ready and able to actually feel things and connect and stuff like that. Some people look more at tools and toys, so to speak, right? So different people have different ideas. And then there's, of course, a psychological, emotional underpinning. And then there is a, once again, quote unquote, spiritual underpinning. So when you ask me about Tantra, which is only a very, very, very small fraction of what I do, because I'm also you know, a trained psychologist and counselor, and I've done over 35,000 client hours in my lifetime and, you know, stuff like that. So I have other, I'm also a trauma therapist and have developed the somatic movement method and blah, 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 blah. So I've done an enormous amount of stuff that goes into what I do 
which we can talk about. But when we talk about the class you took and also the fact that you're going somewhere to work with someone, it could be very varied. Yeah. Yes. And there could also be a very little dogma or a lot of dogma, right? And it could have... To say it very, very brutally, it could have a nice dusting of spiritual powder or shit. (laughs) 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 Or it could be very non-dogmatic. These are tools you need for your body to be open and relate better. And here are some skills that you can learn. So it could be any of those things. But coming back to your experience where you were looking into your partner's eyes, Tantra, as it is taught in the West has an enormous focus on either just the sexual aspects or the aspects of kind of opening the body beyond what people can do themselves. You also have to be somewhat receptive and open to the experience. Typically for most of us, let's say sexual pleasure and sexual relating, most of us learn that solo, right? Because most people have sexual experiences by themselves before, if they're lucky, (laughs) you know, before they are exposed to a partner and at a younger age than when they would be sexually maturing with a partner or things like that. Like I said, some people have unpleasant experiences and things, but for the most part, we have a sexual relationship with ourselves first, notwithstanding any, you know, religious things or whatever. So when we get to be with another human, our programming isn't, I'm with this person and together we're doing this. It's let me go inside and feel my own stuff, which is why people close their eyes during sex. I presume you believe it would be better for us to have an education from a younger age of how to actually, I guess, explore our own sexuality. Well, it's tricky, right? Because there's, of course, age of consent, what's appropriate, what's appropriate for somebody's development and things like that. So I would say the most important thing that one can teach a younger person is a positive connection with their own body, not necessarily in a sexual domain, because that might transgress on some boundaries and things like that, but just as a body, right? Having connection with the body, knowing about one's own body, knowing what's good for you, what's not good for you, actually moving your body, which happens less and less in the time of computer and things like that, right? Having a natural body intelligence. When you have that, and when you can instill that in a younger adult or even in a child, automatically their boundary setting, for instance, is a lot better, right? Because they actually know what they like and what they don't like, they can go, no, I don't want to do this. Don't touch me. Or, you know, so, so you start by creating body intelligence and connection with the body. Then, of course, in an ideal world, it would be nice if people would receive education that's not coming via porn. It would be really good if they would understand that learning sexual skills and learning relational skills will set them up for a lifetime of success in that domain. I feel like sex now, now I'm nearly 30, is like a totally different ball game to when I first started having sex. It's almost as if you do, well, I don't know if everyone's had similar experiences, but for me, it was definitely 
in a weird way, almost like performing to make them happy. Whereas now, glad to say I've got a very, very good lover (laughs) in terms of, you know, it's a partnership thing. But I could definitely imagine if you hadn't been put with the right person, how that could keep going on into, you know, your 30s, 40s or forever, really. Tantra in general is a philosophical yoga system in which the body is brought into the participation in of life, right? So it is a spiritual system. And within that system, you're striving towards kind of spiritual growth or however, spiritual awakening by being a householder, meaning you are not in a monastery, you're not foregoing earthly matters, so to speak, right? And hence your body and your life and how you engage in life is important. And of course, the area of greatest rub, so to speak, pun intended, (laughs) is relationship and sex. So even in the ancient texts, that was used as a means of engaging with life itself, right? Because it is procreation and survival, and but also love and connection and the tribal belonging is a very, very big part of human experience if you are living in the world, so to speak. So originally, Tantra had a very, very practical approach and had very little to do with sex. Of course, when it was brought in the West, which a few people did as early as the early 1900s, it was very sexualized. And nowadays, what you see out there is Neo-Tantra, meaning it's just some of the sexual practices. But what you experienced with the eye gazing, for instance, right, which is a staple in all of those workshops, it has to do with the fact that you are going from the inside focused only on your own pleasure to the outside connecting with a partner. And because we live in a world where there is very little actual connection now, of course, post-pandemic, or we're still in a pandemic, right, there's less of that intimacy and the ability to actually be with somebody and stay connected to another person while experiencing your own sensations has to be trained. And so it's always one of the first things that's done, regardless of where you go. So is that where the traditional tantra, you know, way, way before it was sexualized, you know, commercialized and made all about sex really in the Western world, is that what it would have been more about. So more about building a connection with people and therefore building a better life together. I would say in the original Tantra, that's not even something that they were concerned with, right? It was all about preparing the body and working with the body as a vehicle to the divine, so to speak. And so you did inner channel work, you balanced your energy body and all of that. Only at that point would you connect with another practitioner to put those things to the test. So no, what you have out there as Tantra has really very little to do with, for instance, something like the Vinyana Bhairava Tantra, which is one of the root texts within the Kashmiri traditions, right? Which is all about energy, breath, how energy moves through your body, how you relate to things like disturbances. Do you get all freaked out by something bothering you or can you actually relax and meet that has very, very little to do with what you see out there. And that is something that you want to be very careful about 
in following anybody who says they are a tantric practitioner. It has to be understood that that's a slice taken out of a huge body of work that's, you know, highly sexualized because that's what people want and also need. And so how did you get into this area of work? <laughs> you know, I knew very, very early on, probably with 14, 15, that I wanted to work with people in the realms of healing. I eventually became a counselor. And within that, I had a few very specific things that I was interested in, one of which was trauma and how trauma informs the body. And of course, in the context of that, because I also had tantric training and that was my personal interest and, you know, I did all kinds of yoga teacher trainings and massage trainings and all kinds of things as an adjunct, because I really wanted to understand how the body works and how the body in relationship works. So in the, I would say first 10 years of my professional experience or growth, all of these things kind of came together. And then they've developed ever since. It's been my 26th year of practice now, like working with people. That's amazing. I listened to you on the Goop podcast talk about how women, I think someone had come to you and said that they were struggling to feel sexual. They didn't want to really have sex with their husband or boyfriend and you said something about that. Well, yes, because we put this masculine head on at work all day. It's very hard to then transition, isn't it, into that sexual, playful, feminine energy. Yeah. For both men and women, it's not just masculine and feminine. It's just when you're up here and all your energy is up here and your neck is tight and your shoulders is tight and your jaw is tight, the anti-venom, so to speak, is you bring it down into the body. You bring the body back in then you can connect in a much better way, right? And so for men, often how that's done is they want to zone out, right? They just need a moment where they're not talking or not doing things. And for women, that's often they want to connect and talk and there's a huge disconnect. So it's sometimes really nice when both partners together or separately can just get back into their bodies and then connect from there. So I think that would be my number one tip, right? My number one tip for a relationship would be, and this is by the way, the number one marker of a good long-term relationship is, believe it or not, not sex, not communication, it's generosity. And what I mean with generosity is not buying somebody a gift, of course, right? It's the generosity of heart and spirit. And what I mean by that is that you consider your partner as someone for whom you want to do something nice, even after 10 years or something like that. And what that means is that you essentially do a little bit of something extra just because, not because it gets you something, not because you have to, not because you think if you do that, they will do this, right? But because why not? Right? And that's the number one marker of relationships that last. So that's as simple as when you go to the kitchen and you get yourself a cup of tea, you make one for your partner, right? Without them having to ask you or, you know, whatever that is, whatever little action you can do that says, I'm considering you without there being a transaction involved. And 
that could be anything from touch, right? Just giving an extra hug out of the blue without any reason or rhyme to it, right? It could be a glass of water, a cup of tea. It could be taking the dog out, even though it's the other person's turn, you know, just because they're a little bit stressed or something. It's those actions that really make a big difference. And believe me, they make a big difference in the sexual realm as well. Yeah, I can imagine that. Whenever my partner makes me a cup of coffee in the morning and it's actually my turn, I'm like, I really like you today. (laughs) That's right. Exactly. I have heard from a few different people, actually, as well as yourself, saying that Tantra and sexuality and intimacy, it's kind of, there is a bit of a blurred line and there is, you know, a spectrum of do-gooders and charlatans, I guess, sort of thing. Yes. So I'm definitely going to go into this with my eyes wide open and maybe I can come back to you afterwards and tell you what it's been like. And you can tell me if, no, Jade, you've got it totally wrong. (laughs) So here's the one caveat, the thing that you really need to watch out for, because it's a kind of a trope and it's something that happens that's very dangerous for a number of reasons. One of the tantric tropes out there in the pseudo-spiritual neo-tantric world is that you need to push your boundaries and that you have to go beyond what you want to do and that will open you. Now, that's a very, very dangerous proposition because the reason we don't want to go further than we want to go is typically we're not ready to, our system's not ready to, and our body's saying no. And when you're forced to override your own boundaries, you might have a really big, amazing opening experience in the moment, but then you'll have a snapback where your nervous system goes, oh, you know, and then there's kind of an injury there potentially. And typically people have some traumatic patterns of some sort, right, that when they hit upon They say, stop, right? And then when that thing comes where somebody goes, oh, push beyond that, you are prude, or if you would just do this, your sex life would get so much better and stuff like that, then you'll do it. You have that big epiphany, which is kind of a bit of a snake oil salesman kind of a trick, right? But then you go home and then it actually often turns out that you had a previous injury in that particular strand, so to speak. And now it's been reinforced. And so it's a very common thing that I see in my practice that some people who call themselves fairly advanced tantric practitioners were actually sexually abused by their parents or uncles or whatever, right? And then they go into the field of sexuality as a means of healing, but they're still somewhat in acting, for instance, I'm thinking of one person specifically right now, where he went straight from having had some abuse in his childhood to joining a kind of a more cultish tantra school where he then experienced the same kind of but spiritualized abuse by the guru, so to speak, right? So there's a lot of really, really funny stuff happening because spirituality, skill development, psychological aspects and relational aspects are all muddled together in this odd way. You want to make sure that nobody crosses your boundaries and that you don't push yourself beyond what you sustainably can deal with in the aftermath. And so 
your no is more important, healthier than anybody else's yes or pushing you because you can still learn the things, but then develop them over time in a sustainable way without your nervous system getting fried. Okay. So say just for an example, so I can have it quite clear in my mind. So say if I went to this place and they said, you must, I don't know, sit on top of each other. I mean, I'm literally making this up. I have no idea. Sit on top of each other, look into each other's eyes and sort of, I don't know, feel each other in a certain way or something that could trigger something in me. If it's, I don't know, maybe I've had a bad experience with someone touching me in those places before, but in the moment, I guess it must feel like you said, quite opening and different and exciting maybe in some ways. But then afterwards, it's like like a ping effect where you go, oh, actually, that was weird. And Because you can get caught up in these things in the moment, can't you? You can, exactly. And that's why I'm saying the things, right? So for instance, yes, you were asked to sit on a strange man's lap, right? Now, here's the thing. <laughs> I haven't been, by the way. But yeah, 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 but that happens very much so. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah, so... So, you know, maybe not the first exercise, but, you know, and you have a strong ill against that man, right? And it's like, oh, that's just your contraction. You know, this is what keeps you from really connecting with people. But really, you just don't like the smell or the look or the, the, the vibe <laughs> of that person. He's a slimer, right? And yeah, he thinks totally. he's the tantric yeah. god. And, and you're just like, uh, <laughs> no, right? Yeah, then, don't touch me. Exactly. Then you don't do that. You go, no, I'm going to sit across from you. If my body starts trusting you, well, then maybe. But you don't override your natural instincts because when you do, your body can trust you. You're always going to have to override versus actually developing a bodily intelligence where you are connected with what's a yes and what's a no. Not only when you go to a tantric workshop, right? In proper relationship, you want to work within the boundaries that your body gives you so that there's mutual trust developed. It was so great to meet Michaela and hear about her experiences with intimacy and relationships. So now I'm off to meet James and Megan in Ubud to try it for myself. So uh, we stayed at a hotel, which was in, it was like on the outskirts of Ubud. So it was right in the middle of the forest. And I think we were like one of the only people in the whole hotel. So we spent 25 pounds a night for a room. And we managed to sit on the deck, which overlooked the waterfalls, that overlooked all of the jungle and we had it all to ourselves. It's basically like a private chef sort of thing. So we're on our way now to meet James Mattingly and Megan Lambert. They're both sexual and intimacy coaches who do quite a lot of their work around Tantra. And um, yeah, so just driving through the centre of Uber now and it's absolutely boiling again. I think the, the humidity is about 90% at the moment, which is, it's not pretty, I'm not gonna lie. Here we go. Hi, I'm Hi. Jade. Nice Hi, to Megan. meet you. Nice How are you? Happy to be on again, anyway. <laughs> <gasps> wow. Oh my God. Yeah. It's a, you even it's got like a little spot. gym. Wow, I'm in love. Can I live here? <laughs> so, 
what is your story guys how did you end up here i know you obviously must have your own individual stories but what do you do what we do now together as a couple is help other couples have honeymoon sex for life so that that fiery thing that exciting thing that thing that falls off the table so we work with couples in a number of ways but how we got here and how we got here individually and together is a different story so i was a leadership consultant for 4 years and i taught strategy and i coached teams and i coached individuals and i was like i love what i'm doing but the topic's a little dry <laughs> so <laughs> i understand that yeah <laughs> right <laughs> and meanwhile i got into personal growth and a lot around conscious sexuality and mindful intimacy so then after a while i started living kind of a double life where i was a consultant by day and at night and on weekends, I was teaching conscious sexuality. So just quickly, conscious sexuality for someone who doesn't know what that is. It's basically the idea of how do you take mindfulness and all the benefits of that and bring it into your sex? Mm. And so how do you be really like present and aware mm. of how you're connecting and how you're touching um, and the intention you want to bring into that moment? I guess you could transfer a lot of the skills from your day job yes. into nighttime, but on a completely different topic. Exactly. Same skills, different topic and much juicier. Mm. So at some point <laughs> I was like, I just want to do this. I just want to talk about love and sex all day. Yeah. Who doesn't? Right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Seriously. Yeah. And I didn't know you could do that as a job, but I, <laughs> I knew I didn't want to do the consulting. So I quit. And then I started my own company um, two and a half years ago. Mm. Uh, about the same time I met James, actually. Oh, wow. Mm. And now I work with women. So I help women find love and feel more free in their body and more connected to their desire. I do women's retreats, group programs, individuals, and then together we work with couples. That's amazing. It sounds so cool when you lay it out. It like does that. sound so cool. <laughs> exactly. I'm, I'm in the middle of it. It's nice to hear it from the outside and yeah, be like, wow, yeah. that's awesome. <laughs> and then what about you, James? Similar but different. So I was traveling the world working in, in marketing and sales and very high stress, high pressure and found myself feeling like my soul was dying without having those words. You know, I yep. can have those words now at the time. just felt like this isn't right. So like so many beautiful people, I end up in Ubud, Bali, packed my bags and came to Bali and took a yoga teacher training. And in that was the start of my self-development journey. So I went very, very deep into a number of different rabbit holes down the introspection, self-development. I got into leading and teaching transformational programs. I've led hundreds of transformational yoga teacher trainings and, and really took a deep dive. But over all the things that I've studied, whether it's you know, Tony Robbins or Landmark, I even took a, I took a week-long training in sighing. In what? Sorry. Well, you remember Sighing. when you were knocking on the door Sighing. earlier on, you heard me making a strange sound. I Sighing. didn't actually, but you now do? I want to. Like, uh, I think you need a demo. Uh, I did that in Breathwork. Yeah. I think it's nice, right? It is. It feels God, it feels amazing. Right? It feels right? so good. <laughs> so I even took a week-long training, literally, in sighing. I was just so into all of these different areas of, of understanding myself better, but nothing affected me more than understanding what it was to have a healthy masculine essence. So I took a training with a man named Eli Varin that opened up a door that went deeper into probably the world leader in this field, which is David Data. Took trainings with him. I've had a, a sexual yoga coach for seven years. He's more recently, I've been working directly with men. So I work with men in, in, in a container that uses boxing as a way to face your fear and to remember your power. So I work with men in this realm. And then together, as Megan said, we work with couples on their intimate and sex life. So if I was a client coming to you on a, on a typical day on my own or with a partner, what would I expect? What would you 
do with me and, and what's sort of the science behind it as well? I would say in general, we work with people that already have a pretty good sex life, mm. but they're like, there's got to be more, you know, beyond orgasms and positions and mm. Kama Sutra. Like what else is there? How do we have more like deep, connected, passionate sex? We work with generally monogamous couples right. that have a lot of love and they don't have so much of a problem in their relationship. Like they love each other, but they have what Megan calls often the best buddy syndrome. <laughs> oh, right. okay. I, I think I can imagine what you're talking about. Yeah. Could you elaborate? Sure. Yeah. The best buddy syndrome is when it, maybe you had passionate sex in the beginning, but then over time you live together, maybe you work together or have kids together and you just kind of fall into a rhythm where you're watching Netflix more than having sex. Netflix mm. without the chill. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Netflix, no chill. Exactly. And you feel just like best buddies or roommates or friends. I've but had that, that with an ex. spark is yeah. not there. Yeah. 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 And then you feel uncomfortable and maybe you haven't had sex in a while, but you don't want to talk about it because yeah. there's a nice, easy rhythm in mm. your relationship. But so. is there a way to sort of get out of that then? Is oh, that yeah. Easy? Oh, there is. Interesting. How? That's what we coach on. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Oh, no way. So like if you were to, in a nutshell, what is going on there with that best buddy type feeling? Well, I think, I think there's, there's many, many different things that could be at the root, but the main ones that we find is that sex and intimacy gets deprioritized because mm-hmm. of busy lives. Sex becomes boring just out of lack of variety. And because it becomes- the same things over and over again. Same, same position, position. Same way of same initiating. Same yeah. Same time of the day, same week. And, and because it's boring, sex actually for a lot of couples can feel like a chore, particularly in one partner more than the other. Mm. Like another thing on the to-do list. Once you've done all the other things on the to-do list, yeah. then that. And then the last one is just depolarized. So the sameness creates friendship, but difference creates attraction. Mm, right? So I when you first that. meet each other, you're like, you know, and if, if you think of a first date, there's so much spark and energy because she might be laughing or giggling and you're you know, holding the door open to use a classic example. But when you become best friends, you lose a lot of that arc and spark between the two. Yeah. And so a lot of the work we do is how do you emphasize your differences? And we call it your masculine feminine differences so that you feel like there's an other, Mm -hmm. which is like this erotic, exciting other person that then there's a gap between you and you feel the desire to merge that gap again. I've um, had a Margot relationship therapy before. And he said that initially when you first get with each other, you love that difference of each other where you're like, oh, that's so new and exciting that they love this and I love this. And then after a while you start getting closer and you're like, why don't they like the same things as me? Why (laughs) don't they? And you're like, oh, if we're not the same, is that wrong? Yeah, exactly. It's like when James and I met, there was a lot of spark because we Mm. were new to each other. Mm. And I felt this like desire to get to know him and to explore and vice versa. And then I think over time, couples kind of um, get used to each other, maybe even take each other for granted. And so there isn't that same like, ooh, who are you? Oh, how do I get to know you? So have you both always been very, if you don't mind me asking, very sexual people? I would say, yes, I have always, um, but I didn't always feel comfortable talking about it or exploring it. Like before I had a lot of rules around my sexuality. Like it has to be only with a partner. It has to be when we're in love and monogamous and after so many months um, and slowly, slowly I've been like, okay, but what is actually true to my desire in this moment? And how do I honor my moment to moment desire versus my, the rules in my head? And I'd say for me, less so. 
I don't think it was hugely sexual before. So I found myself in the case that a lot of couples find themselves in previous relationships for me, where there was a lot of love, but no passion. And I never understood why. And because it's not something that was talked about or it felt embarrassing or taboo, we'd never talk about it. So we'd never shift it. And that was until I met Megan, <laughs> which totally changed that around. For me, it was a real eye-opener. It's like even part of me was believing, oh, maybe I'm not a sexual person. But it wasn't that I wasn't. It was just I fell into the same trap that others fall and deprioritized. You know, lack of variety or, uh, you know, love languages. Yes. right. It's like that, but for your sexual type. Love languages, everyone speaks love in a different way. So someone might be physical touch, which I am, and another person might be words of affirmation. And words of affirmation would say, oh, I love you so much. You're so beautiful. And you give verbal compliments. That would land really well on somebody that has words of affirmation. But if the person, the way they feel love is through physical touch, but all they're doing is being spoken to, there's a mismatch. Basically, it's like two different ways to love each other. And there's five different types. And so it's, it's how you know how to receive and express love. It can be through your childhood or your upbringing or just who you are. And there's a similar thing in your erotic life. It's like who you are erotically. And that's your erotic blueprint. And there's five different types of those too. Okay. Could you share them? Sure. (laughs) Yeah. These come from Jaya. They're amazing. We use them in our coaching. So the first one is sexual, which is kind of what you'd expect. It's just like genitals, penetration, naked bodies. That's what turns you on. Uh, The next one is sensual. So this is, you like your five senses being touched. You like beautiful music and lighting and smells and caressing touch and massage. The next one is energetic. So you love the energy of the moment, the tease, the yearning, a hand hovering over your legs. Like just, you want to feel you're wanting. Uh, The next one is kinky. So anything that's taboo or like a little against the rules or a little edgy turns you on. That one made Jade smile. Yeah, that one made me smile. <laughs> I, I, I was like, kinky. oh shit, I've given it away. That's my <laughs> <laughs> And the last one, quick, let's change the subject. <laughs> the last one is shapeshifter. So that's when you are all of them, basically. Mm. And what you really love, I'm a shapeshifter, is dynamic change. You want to feel every one of these types in different moments. So like my favorite sexual experiences will go from soft and sensual to like spanking me to like feeling the yearning to something else. Um, and there's a lot of change involved. I think the last one sounds a bit me as well, actually. Yeah. To be honest, it all sounds great. Not yeah. Yeah. <laughs> all sounds very enjoyable. So tackling this and if someone worked with you like myself or me and my partner, how can it make people feel good? Like how can it make them you know, have a more fulfilled and better life? So I think the first step is knowing yourself and knowing your partner. So for example, you're maybe kinky. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe. Maybe. (laughs) What do you think your partner might be? Sensual. Sensual. Okay. I think so. So then from there, what you can do is you can gift your partner, like speak their love language. So you could set up a sensual scene for him where you light candles and have music and give him a full body massage And what you're doing is you're learning to speak his language for him. And then he, for example, might bring home a new sex toy for you to try or like tie you up or maybe, I don't know, take pictures of you, whatever is kinky to you, which will be unique. But the idea in that is it gives you information about how to seduce your partner and how to bring pleasure to them and yourself. Yeah. Well said. I mean, and just to zoom out a little bit, it's um, the, the one the one thing that makes an intimate relationship intimate is intimacy. And it sounds almost obvious to say, 
that you get loyalty and you can get loyalty from a Labrador, right? <laughs> and you can get trust from a friend. So the thing that separates a, any other relationship and a partnership, an intimate relationship is the intimacy that you have. The beautiful part of playing with something like your archetypes is that let's say I'm sensual. It means that what is underrepresented or expressed could be my kinky side, but I still have a kinky side. I've just never been given the chance to give it freedom. So when my gifting her, if she's more kinky, a kinky scene, I also get to explore parts of myself that I don't usually get to explore. Every single one of the couples we work with speak about how this goes outside of the bedroom, that they get to express parts of themselves in the bedroom that then comes into their work, that then comes into their relationships, that comes into their life, into their mission, into their purpose. I like in the bedroom, like to be quite submissive, Mm. even though I'm quite dominant in real life. And I do wonder if I think I would feel more uncomfortable playing like a dominant role in the bedroom, even though that's something I have in my everyday life sort of thing. But I wonder how, if I did become more comfortable being like, I don't know, some kinky bitch with a whip or whatever. (laughs) I can't believe I just said that. Um, Do you think that that would sort of change in my everyday life? Yeah, it's, it's really common, actually, the dynamic you're talking about, about a powerful woman who's dominant in her life and then submissive in the bedroom. And I think part of that is our female conditioning of that it's not okay to be like hungry or taking charge sexually because that's not ladylike, right? And so there is something really powerful about leaning into that taboo. And in my experience and that of our clients, when they do, when they're willing to try on, say the dominant woman archetype, there's a certain power you can find. You're like a little less afraid in life generally. Because you're like, I know how to take charge of this scene. I know how to like be the boss here. And then it's like, okay, I can be the boss out in the world. Or the submissive. The submissive is also incredibly powerful and taboo. If you are used to, as you might be, as being, you know, more dominant in your everyday world and in your work, it might mean that exactly the right thing to do is to be submissive. You would play the dominant role if that's what your love required. It goes beyond what I want and what he wants into okay, yeah, I've been the dom all day long, but I really see that what would light him up, like turn him on fire, would be for him to be submissive. So I'm going to put that on in a different role in a different way and give it to him as a gift. Or by the same token, like it would serve him to be submissive. Yeah, exactly. You know, and to really 150% trust his leadership and trust what he does and be devotional in that and Mm. then watch a new part of him emerge. Like maybe he stands up a little straighter, feels a little more confident. Mm -hmm. And that's because of my submission. So if we were going to do like a one-on-one session now, if I was single, what would that look like? Because obviously I'm sure you can have some sort of sexual relationship with yourself Mm. that isn't, you know, just masturbation. Yeah. It's the sexual relationship you have with yourself sets the tone for all other relationships, all other intimate relationships. So if you're coming to me and you're single, usually I work with single women one-on-one. It would be a lot around getting to know what does your body want and how do you trust that? So what kind of foods do you want to eat? What kind of movement feels really good in your body? What kind of clothes feel amazing on your body? What makes you feel sexy? These are the kinds of things we'd talk about. And then you'd have a self-pleasure practice. Oh, sounds awful. It's terrible. (laughs) So it might look like a daily breast massage. It might look like using crystal wands to explore the inside of your body. By using a tool like a crystal wand or a jade egg, you're starting to build a relationship with your genitals, or as I would say, your pussy. 
Like you're getting to know it and explore and like, okay, what does it feel like to have something inside of me? And what types of touch and texture feel good there? So then when you are in partnership or when you do have a partner, you really know yourself and you can be like, hey, this is what I love. Let me introduce you to the wonderful world of my body. We're talking about one-on-one, but I think you have a partner, right? I, I do have a partner. So, I don't oh, I don't know how he'd feel about something like this. So. Well, he's, he's not here right now. No, but, no. But we could, I mean, can we give him a call? We could call him. But I don't know if he'd, I don't know if he'd come on. Well, let's see. Yeah, let's find out. What, and like do like a couple's coaching. Yeah, session. we could we could do a little exercise and set some homework up for next time you see each other. Producer Juliet, what time is it in the UK now? It's like 8am. Okay, I'll call him. I'll call him. I'll see if he'll do it. Yeah. Ian? Yeah? I know this might sound weird, but I'm just doing an interview at the moment with two sex coaches in Bali and they've offered if I want to do it with you. Right. Would you, would you do it? Now? Yeah, yeah, now. Well, like five minutes? Anything for you, Jade. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> okay, um, I'll call you back in five minutes. Great. Woo! I'll get a cup of coffee. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. See you soon. Bye. So I'm with the sex coaches, Megan and James. Hi, Ian. Pleasure to meet you. Yeah, nice to meet you, Ian. I can imagine this is a a strange call out of the blue today. I get lots of these being with Jade. It's always (laughs) very exciting. Every day is exciting with Jade. (laughs) Oh, that's very sweet. (laughs) Well. So I think it's great to just start with, tell us a little bit about your sex life. I think we have a good sex life, to be fair. I've definitely been in relationships before where it's sort of like died down before and I've not particularly had that desire still there. And we've now been together for like three, three and a half years. And I don't find that with Ian. Like I still fancy him very much and all that sort of stuff. I think we go through stages. Like sometimes we'll have it very regularly. Other times we'll have like drier patches, but generally I think it's quite good. <laughs> I can hear your nervous laughing and like, oh my God, please stop talking. It was just the dryer. I was laughing at the dryer patches. (laughs) I'm quite a sexual person. Like I love having sex. I guess I would quite like us to try more stuff. It's definitely not vanilla, but (laughs) I would, yeah, I think it'd be quite cool to try different stuff. What would you say, Ian? Uh, yeah, I think I would say the same thing. It's definitely really, uh, really good. Uh, it's still really exciting. And I agree, like, sometimes we seem to do it all the time, other times not so much. Uh, but that's not, like, a bad thing. It just sort of kind of feels like a natural cycle. At this point, it's a great place to start with recognising priorities and how with busy lives and things going on and families and and work, sex falls off the priority. So one thing that's really valuable to start with is actually sexy scheduling. (laughs) Yes, it sounds unsexy, believe it or not, but sexy scheduling is a great way to start. So you literally look at your calendar and you plan some sexy time together. Now, this isn't the only time you have sexy time, (laughs) but it is on your calendar um, clear that at Tuesday (laughs) at 3 p.m., you're getting together to do something. And you'll, if you open up our calendar, you will see our sexy time on the calendar. Mm -hmm. But what it does is like, we make time for things that are important and couples tend to go through dry spells, just like you said. And one of the ways to prevent that is to actually put it on your calendar. Mm. So I'm curious, how does that feel for you two hearing that? 
it makes sense to me. My background is all in sort of program management stuff and holding people to account and tasks. So I can absolutely imagine that working. <laughs> You're going to be holding me easy, to accountability. I'm going to put some KPIs down. And, uh... <laughs> God, I hate to see what those KPIs look like. Me and Ian are very different in this sense. Like I'm the like spur of the moment, but when I think of something, we have to do it there and then and that sort of stuff. Whereas Ian's very much more planned than me. Yeah, it's a bit like this call. If I'd known this call was happening, I'd have asked for a one-week preparation, some <laughs> rehearsals, whereas Jane's like, oh, Ian, yeah, um, can you just come on a sex training call with me in the next five minutes? I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, I'd love to. It doesn't replace any of the spontaneous sex. So mm-hmm. we work with couples. We recommend you plan, like, maybe it depends on the couple, but, like, two or three times a week on your calendar that's set aside and you can still build in that flirtation around it. So in the morning you can be like, Hey honey, I'm looking forward to this afternoon exactly. <laughs> or like get dressed up in your lingerie and greet them at the door. Right? And so even though you both know it's coming, you can still build that yearning and that anticipation. And then in between then, if you want to have spontaneous sex, you know, in the kitchen or other times, feel free. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> and, it, and it doesn't, it could be 20 minutes. It could be half hour. It could be three hours. So the time commitment is totally on you and your schedule. So the sexy scheduling, I would say, is like the planning side, like mm-hmm. kind of the masculine, the structure of it. Where we're going into next is the feminine side, the desire of like, how do you tap into what you really want each week and communicate that with your partner in a way that's sexy and doable? Exactly. And it can change week to week. But the question right now, if you were to have it all your way, so let's say there's one time this week, so it's two hours or whatever, an hour. What time of day would Ian surprise you? What would he do for you? What would it look like? What flavor would you want? What kind of sex would you want to have? Um, (laughs) Why are you laughing, Ian? I just can't imagine what you're going to say next. (laughs) I do quite like the thought of like being woken up and sort of doing it there and then. Um, And as I sort of mentioned earlier on the episode, like I like being submissive. What I'm hearing so far is it would be in the morning. You'd be surprised and woken up and you would be submissive in some way. One more thing, sorry, I just realized yeah. as well. I feel like when we have sex, it's very much about the coming. It's not like it is about the journey, kind of, but I feel like that's sort of the end goal is the priority. And I actually mm. quite like the getting turned on and the slow journey up there and everything like that, which Ian is very good at. But it just maybe that is one thing that sort of becomes less and less of you get to be with each other for longer. Maybe we live in a very goal oriented society, right? We're used to, okay, there's a goal. We're trying to get somewhere and we can bring that mindset into the bedroom. And usually where we're trying to get to is an orgasm, his Mm -hmm. orgasm, her orgasm, simultaneous orgasm, whatever. And one of the first things we do with couples is like, take that goal off the table. Like, what is it like to have not have that as a goal at all. But the goal is just to experience pleasure in the moment. No orgasm. <laughs> it just sounds weird, doesn't it? Imagine saying like to your friend, oh, we had sex all night. Did you come? No, neither of us. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Weird. It's actually the third sexy date in our in our class is non-ejaculation practice. For men. And, you know, just an average statistic is most women won't have the deepest states of orgasm till about 45 minutes of penetration. And most men come within 10 minutes. It's actually five minutes. So some of your sexual experiences, maybe you're like, okay, this time we're going to all have, have all the orgasms, you know, really satisfy that orgasm itch. The next time you might be like, okay, now neither of us get to have an orgasm. 
We just get to see how much pleasure we can build without going over in both just as a way to research, research your body, research your pleasure. And like bringing it back to if you had it all your way, now we have the basis of a really great sexy date. Because like, all right, you you both agree that Thursday morning is going to be the morning. Thursday morning is the morning that in slowly wakes you up in some sexy way and, you know, warms you up, the foreplay that you like, whatever it is. And then whispers something like, relax, we're going to have amazing sex and you're going to come once. <laughs> oh, it right? makes me laugh. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. But that laughter is such a beautiful thing because there's like some excitement in it. And then you're in the submissive role, which you talked about before. And automatically gets into the dominant role in this situation. It could be the other way around. But then you have this fun and interesting thing where you get to experience the desire, which occurs spontaneously now in practice in a really sexy way. Now we have the the first sexy date for you, and that's Ian's gift to you. And let's say the same from you, Ian. So if you had it all your way, what would it look like? So I think my time would be like the afternoon. I think... I do like the morning, but I'm just going with my gut feel would probably be an afternoon time because sometimes I think like when you wait to get in bed at night, it's like a a suggested time where you think, oh, right, we must do it now. And sometimes you think, oh, I don't really fancy doing it now or you might be tired. Whereas like in the afternoon for me seems to be like a really good time. So it would probably be some really sexy lingerie or something like that because she's got an amazing body and everything. Looks fantastic. And then like a surprise thing where she actually like Ian. And then I'd sort of come around the corner and she's there in some amazing outfit. I really enjoy just the doing of it. So sometimes I might not even reach orgasm. And Jade's like, are you all right? You haven't? I'm saying, yeah, it was absolutely brilliant. You know, that was meant. <laughs> I'm totally fine. Amazing. So what I'm hearing is you want a spontaneous afternoon surprise and you come around the corner and my guess is she seduces you. That sounds ideal. (laughs) Okay, great. (laughs) I don't wear sexy lingerie that often because I sometimes feel uncomfortable wearing it. Does that bother you? Would you like me to wear sexy lingerie more? I just sort of said that, but to be honest, you don't even have to. If you just had like like an old shirt thrown on, do you know what I mean? I just said it because it would be thing, but it's just like seeing your great body. That's good to know because sometimes I do feel self-conscious wearing lingerie, even though I know obviously you look better in that than not, but sometimes I like make cringe a little bit actually. Yeah. Yeah. How come? Sometimes I don't feel very sexy. Sorry, I feel a bit emotional saying that. Not actually acknowledged that before. I think because I am that tomboy inside, there is sometimes part of me that does maybe struggle to have that like feminine energy a little bit maybe. And you know, it's really vulnerable to put on lingerie because what you're saying when you put it on is look at me, admire me. And that can be really scary, especially if you're like not used to it or nervous about it. You know, you, you can't really act chill when you're wearing lingerie. <laughs> you're making a statement. <laughs> yeah. I think that's what it is. I'm kind of like, look at me, but don't look at me. Yeah. And wanting to be seen. Yeah. That's really vulnerable and intimate and um, exposed. So it makes sense to feel nervous about it. I love the idea of that kind of tease of like, look at me, don't look at me, look at me, don't look at me. And I think for you, a beautiful part of your journey is like, what makes you feel sexy? What kind of lingerie might turn you on? Maybe it's a teddy or maybe it's the the silky robes or maybe it's like strappy black lingerie, but something you could do 
when you want to is to go to a lingerie store, maybe even bring a friend and just try on different lingerie and be like, what makes me feel most beautiful? Producer Juliet, who I've been with here, actually, we went to Victoria's Secrets the other day and she's really into her underwear. And I didn't know this before we came and I was like, oh, maybe that's something that I do want to explore. Ian, right. Get the calendar out. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. It sounds good. And then I've just got one question that I ask all of my guests on this podcast. What are three things that make you feel good? Well, something that makes me feel really good is walking down the street and walking past someone I don't know that has a huge smile on their face. Mm. For some reason, it just makes me disproportionately happy and I totally love it. Um, one thing that makes me feel good is dancing. Mm. I love to dance. I love ecstatic dance. I love just putting on music and dancing in my room. It makes me feel alive. And I'd say the the last one for me is Boxing, actually. When I box, when I, when I, funny enough, it's amazing how good you can feel after being punched in the face. (laughs) (laughs) But there's something very exhilarating about it that lights me up. And Ian, whilst we have you here, what would be three things that make you feel good? Making music, definitely, is probably number one. I really like the smiling thing. I think I feel the same. Somebody have a really good laugh like this. Great. When Jade laughs, she like throws her head back. And just really lets loose. It's so fun to watch. Just being out in nature, being in Anglesey, I've realised just how nice the seaside is and the the forest. So just getting outside. I've spent so much of my life in in offices. Um, Just being out in nature during the day, I think, is another, another really good one for me. Perfect. Thank you. Oh, thank you so much. And Ian, thanks for doing <laughs> thanks for doing this to the late notice. And most importantly, thank you to you too. I really, really appreciate it. And it sounds like we'll be having another session with you very soon. <laughs> sounds good. <laughs> nice to meet you, Ian. Thank and you. Thank you. So it's been a couple of days since I've done the sex coaching sessions and it was really fun. I feel like I had a good time. I feel like it was really fun to connect with Ian as well and be able to do something like that. So I'm now back in Changu. I'm walking along the beach. I've just gone to La Brice for some breakfast. All the surfers are out, blue sky and the sand beneath my feet, just walking along. And it's just amazing. It's making me sort of reflect on what's important in life. And one of the things that I seem to be taking away so far is just getting back to nature and, and doing things that that we already sort of have at our fingertips, but we don't do. So tonight I'm going to go to the Tantra Temple, which I'm a little bit apprehensive about because I'm not really sure what's going to go on there. The description's pretty vague. It's all about conscious connection and connecting with, oh, the sea. Just washed my feet over. <laughs> yeah, it's all about like conscious connection and stuff. So I don't know whether that's going to involve breathing, touching, whatever, but I've sort of set my own boundaries and I know what I feel comfortable with doing and what I don't feel comfortable doing. So now you're going to hear from Aaron Kleinerman who runs Tantra Temple Nights in the middle of Changu. What you're walking into is a place that invites all parts of you to be here and invites any mask that you might be wearing that might be the good girl, the nice guy, whatever other mask, whatever other archetype or way of being that you've been navigating into life. 
my invitation for you tonight is to the best of your ability, find your edge where you can take that mask off, not to leap over the edge where you're in a flight or a freeze response in your nervous system, but in a way that you can actually be grounded and realize, wow, there's some uncomfortability rising in my body when I look eye to eye with another being and I want to look away. And I just be there with that uncomfortability without trying to make it bad, without trying to make it good. And let yourself right now, through your touch, give your body that love that maybe you've been longing for. Maybe you've been desiring to be loved a certain way by someone on the outside. So right now, touch your body gently, softly, however it is that you would like to receive love. And there is never anyone who needs to complete you because union within yourself is the dance to which you get to know. Union within yourself is the wholeness that maybe you've been seeking. And I want to play a little game with you all. So right now, imagine that you've just entered this other universe, this other universe where all the people around you are fully whole, are fully complete, no love vibrating through every cell of their body. You open your eyes. I want you to start to walk around the room and greet those around you as though they're the long lost souls that you've been longing to find for your whole life. As though it's that brother or sister, that dear companion that you haven't seen for 20 years. And you look them in the eyes and you're ecstatic and alive and saying, oh my God, thank you. Thank you for being here. Nice deep breath in. And when you're ready, start to move around the space. If you don't want any hug or touch from another, you don't need to have any touch, but just start to walk around the space and to meet eye to eye and sharing an embrace, making sound and say, thank you. Thank you for being here. Mm. Welcome. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> what have you been? <laughs> See you in <laughs> So slowly coming into silence. And if it feels okay, you get a kind of verbal check-in. If it don't want touch on your body, you're gonna place your hand onto the heart, the being in front of you. You now open up your mouth, stick out your tongue and say, ah. And then you get back into the very serious tantric thing. <laughs> Maybe you wanna just get a little bit closer and invitation to each other, you can just either whisper or say softly, you are beautiful exactly the way you are. And finding a way with that partner to slowly bring that interaction to completion. Maybe come in for a hug or namaste hands, whatever feels right. Maybe another 30 seconds or a minute, just let yourself express any frustration, any sadness, any emotion inside that you've held on to when your boundaries have been regressed. Just coming into 
silence with your partner in front of you. Let yourself bow before this being in front of you, bringing your third eyes to meet. So forehead to forehead, there's a really magical occurrence that happens. When your third eyes are together, you want to experiment, you can actually open your eyes just slightly and you'll only see one eye in front of you. And so from the inner circle, I want you to just look at the eyes of the person in front of you and share five things that you really appreciate about them. Maybe the way they're wearing their hair or the twinkle in their eyes. An outer circle just receiving. And then the outer circle is going to rotate one spot to the right. Outer circle rotating one spot to the right. Inner circle staying where you are. And you have an opportunity to just see how your body wants to dance before this being. Ooh, let that saucy, juicy, alive, radiant, everything of your feminine. See how she wants to express. Can be as seductive, as inviting as you want to. An inner circle just receiving this dance. Give her your presence. Opening your eyes and seeing this being in front of you, presenting this dance for you. Maybe you offer some sounds or words of encouragement. How can you make her feel even better about herself right now? So the invitation on this next round is that outer circle. You're just going to rest your head down, your body into the lap of the being in front of you. Let yourself be held. Body relaxes, just completely melting down. And slowly finding a way to bring that to completion with your partner, appreciating each other, honoring this sacred connection you've shared. And then we're just gonna come up to our feet together in a nice big circle, holding the hands of the being next to you. Just taking a look around the space, this beautiful temple we've created together tonight. Just noticing whatever's alive in your body. Nice deep breath in. Ah. And make sure before you're leaving, find five people to share a hug with. I absolutely loved this experience. It was completely out of my comfort zone, but it was just really fun. And it was quite nice to talk to someone who is a little bit removed um, about my sex life. And I really enjoyed doing it with Ian as well. It was a really nice experience to do with my partner. And I'm definitely going to go away and buy some new sexy underwear and sort of try and get into that feminine energy a little bit more, which actually leads me on to the Tantra group. It was quite weird because the session with James and Megan obviously showed that I was a little bit self-conscious, I guess, and embarrassed about being seen. Um, and then when I went and did the Tantra session, in one of the parts where I had to look into someone else's eyes, one of the emotions and feelings that came up for me was I found it really uncomfortable to be seen as if I was like embarrassed if someone was looking at me, which is something I'd really, really like to work on. 
I've actually struggled quite a bit with my social media. Like I don't really like posting pictures of myself on there and I feel a bit uncomfortable doing it. And I've started to realize maybe it's the like being seen. It feels like we're supposed to post as much as we possibly can about our lives and about us, but then also hide the bad bits. I find it really hard how to convey being a human on an online version of you because it's not real, it's not reality. And people are craving that connection. People want to actually get to know each other more and, and stuff, but it it's actually couldn't be further away from that. And the Tantra group was amazing in the fact that I felt seen and I actually quite liked it, but like for who I really am. And I felt like I really saw other people as well. And the crazy thing about it was when you went around this group of people like you automatically had a connection with some of them some of them were like long lost friends it was really bizarre if you looked into their eyes you were like there was one one guy I had this really deep connection with but like when we looked into each other's eyes I like felt like I could feel all of his pain that he'd sort of been through in his life and we had this hug and it was like meeting a long lost friend it just made me realize again that it's 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 not that complicated, really, when we think about it. It's just going back to being a human, going back to living in that tribe, looking out for each other, you know, not showing all the good bits, but also exploring the bad bits. And I say bad bits in like quotation marks because it's not bad. It's just the human experience. The Tantra group was, for me, one of the most amazing experiences that I've had this trip so far, actually. It wasn't about whether it was a man or a woman. It was more about their soul or their spirit or their energy. It was like some people you had a connection with and it felt like you knew them and you'd be in the same tribe. And then there was other people like when one of the guys was dancing for me where I literally felt so uncomfortable and like that was not my tribe. We should not have been interacting. And I think that it is that we need to sort of trust our intuition trust our own energy one of the things I'm definitely going to take away is looking into people's eyes more and being okay with that silence I definitely try and fill gaps with conversation to make myself feel a little bit more comfortable and I guess another thing I'm taking from this is tantra as we know it in the western world isn't quite what we think it is like it is about connecting with humans and don't get me wrong I'm sure there was definitely a couple of people there that were there for the sexy time but I also think it is just that connection piece thank you so much to Michaela James Megan and Aaron for being a part of this episode of Finding Feel Good if you want to find out more about Michaela please go to MichaelaBoehm.com if you want to find out more about James, please go to jamesmattingly.com. And if you want to find out more about Megan, please go to meganlambert.com. And we'll be back next week with even more adventures into finding feel good. I'll be trying out ecstatic dance at Udara here in Bali and talking to founder of Morning Gloryville, Samantha Moyo, about why it makes us feel so good to dance. Yoga is an ancient science that has evolved to start to squeeze the tissues and move the muscles and get the energy flowing in different ways to your normal postures like when you're sad and upset but dance works the same and actually one of the pathways in yoga to samadhi or enlightenment is dance listen next week for that episode from real two media and pineapple audio production 